one thing that stood out is all of these teams, except for maybe the Saints, are iconic branded franchises, right? If you and Russell's Wilson's obviously talking about his brand and his legacy. To put that Raider, you know that Raider shield, yeah, it right? Looks cool. <laughs> Your it dad looks wore so that cool. shield. Oh. The Bear C, you know, the Dallas Star. Mm-hmm. You see those things, and that that's marketable. And you're a hero in those cities and fan bases. You're anointed forever. The St. I mean, Louis Rams have... shoulder patch circa 08 right there under the, <laughs> the Reebok emblem. Tuesday, everybody. This is the Greenlight Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long. I want to wish my Bubba a happy fifth birthday. My birthday's today. He doesn't always listen to the pod, but Waylon, love you. Cannot believe you're five years old. Um, it is actually insane that my kid is five. The way I think about it, three of these time periods, and he's going to have his learner's permit. And by the time he's 15, I mean, who knows? Cars are going to be driving themselves. So he's going to be just like leaving the house at 12, like going to hang out with my friends, like hopping in my fucking Tesla. I hope that's not the case. I actually like driving and I don't want my kid to have a Tesla. I guess that's up to me. Happy birthday, big man. At what age do we cut his, uh, his tail? His, he won't let us cut his, uh, his like Joe Dirt tail. We've, we've always let him rock the mullet since he was a kid. Then it kind of evolved into a tail. Now he literally tells his mama when mama's been cutting his hair over this, um, over this pandemic, don't touch my tail. So at what, at what age do we put our foot down about that? Or is he just gonna be rocking a um, Billy Ray Cyrus haircut throughout his entire uh, childhood into adulthood? Love him. He, he's one day he's going to come on the pod. All right. Anyways, today we have a pack football pod. We have Mike Sando because right as we were sitting down, we got the JJ Watt news. It was funny because I was getting ready to do this show. Uh, we had Sarah Thomas on the books, uh, obviously the first female official to call a Super Bowl, along with so many other. Uh, accolades and first she is unbelievable we've got that coming up in a bit um, but on the current event side really no news was popping and I was like man um, I just feel like something's gonna happen today maybe something's gonna happen and it's probably gonna happen right before we start recording the pod with my luck and that's what happened so we scrambled Actually, I threw a Hail Mary uh, to a Mike Sando, who is the terrific writer that currently pens articles for The Athletic and has his own uh, podcast called The Football GM Podcast, and he caught the Hail Mary. So we'll have Mike Sando first reacting to the J.J. Watt news. Listen, my first um, reaction was I was shocked. 
I was also, I thought it was an interesting choice. I was shocked by the Cardinals. I don't think of them, although we've said this before in this pod, like that they're a year ahead and that we love Steve Kime and love Kyler Murray and, you know, Cliff's uh, holding his own and they're exciting. I just didn't think of them as like a team that if you were trying to win right now that you were going to sign with. So I think this is a big win for Steve Kime uh, and for the Cardinals because it says to me that players are buying what they're selling. And, you know, JJ's not going to maybe win you a championship by himself at this stage in his career, but he's going to help. Pairing him with Chandler Jones, it's going to be fun. Um, and you've got two Walter Payton Man of the Year um, patches on the field at once. Never happened before, evidently. Larry Fitzgerald, if he comes back, and J.J. Watt. So interesting. The chalky favorites did not win the race for J.J. Watt, and we were wrong here. But what feels good about saying you were wrong on this one is that everybody else was too. <laughs> Find me a list that had the Arizona Cardinals on it. Um, we thought he was dropping hints. We thought he was a Peloton guy. Um, then he said he doesn't have a bike. Then I thought that was a hint to say that he's not gonna he's not gonna be a Packer because they ride those bikes to training camp. You know, he was fucking tweeting about mitochondria. I don't know where he's going with any of this stuff. I'm glad he wasn't doing a big decision thing. So good for him. Went with his gut. They are at the very least a team that's going to compete for a playoff berth. So although you might look at it and say, looks like you chose a little bit of money over being a contender. Maybe it's not that simple. I will ask Mike Sando about that. Oh, and like I said, NFC West, guy knows the Seahawks pretty well. What does he think about Russ? I'll ask him about that as well. And then after that, we have Sarah Thomas. So it was a blast from the past for me. Uh, a guy who I used to, I used to talk to after a lot of practices and games, Mike Sando. Mike, how are we doing, man? It is great. Yeah, I, I'm doing great. We go back to what you were. What was your rookie year? Oh eight. Oh eight. Maybe. Yeah. Oh eight. That was my first year. That was the year ESPN launched the eight team divisional blog network. Okay. Now they go to they went to 32 since then. But I was the NFC West guy, so. I was there. Yeah, you did it all, man. You were like the go-to guy on the NFC West. And so like yeah. in perpetuity, as something happens in the NFC West, the first <laughs> guy that crosses my mind is you. And yeah. it's not just that. It's I read your stuff yeah. now and your stuff's amazing at The Athletic. And I know you got a podcast as well, the Football GM podcast. But uh, it's pretty cool for something to come so full circle that I used to have to answer to you after practice and now I read yeah. your stuff to help me do my job uh, at this point. So it's pretty. It is a weird, it's a weird thing being around for a little while, you know, and now I'm 50 <laughs> years old now and I'm like, oh, you know. Uh, Are you 50? Uh, I'm five zero. It's crazy. You know, my first year covering the league was 90, 98. Dennis Erickson, I was covering the Seahawks. It's the Dennis Erickson Seahawks with Warren Moon. I mean. Dude, you know, it's, you're dating yourself, but like it's we had Jeff Passan on from ESPN the other day who was yeah, terrific. Yeah. You guys are both ageless wonders. Jeff looks like he's 17. You look 30. You look the same as you always look. So Mike Sando does not age. Well, a guy that people are saying is, is getting old is J.J. Watt, but obviously the Cardinals don't think so. Two years, what, like 32 million? It just can't seem real to see him in a different uniform. 
Especially since, you know, the last two or three years, he's played most of the games. Yeah, I think he missed, you know, a couple years ago, but he's had two 16 start games. I'm with you. It's it's a it's a weird thing when you see a name like that suddenly um, changing teams. I know Houston has their own issues, right? I mean, um, he probably was looking to get out of there, but uh, yeah, three-time defensive player of the year. And I think he still plays pretty well. You know, he's I probably not what he was, but he's he's going to help Arizona, right? He sure is, and I guess now at this point, one of the biggest unanswered questions of the offseason is going to be answered. It has to be Arizona with hard knocks, right? Has to be. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a great one. Well, we'll see where these quarterbacks go. I mean, if we'll talk about Russell Wilson a little later. If, if one of these guys moves and goes to a different team, maybe that's the team, but uh, I think Arizona is interesting. It sure is, man. I mean, and also his decision is interesting to a lot of people. He was not on my list. Was he on yours? Not at all. Like they asked me, you know, when he when he was available, they're like, "Hey, do a thing of like what you think the best fits would be." And you know, you're trying to get into a guy's mind, and I think that's a big joke in media and for everybody of like guessing what's important to a player, right? right? Because most people who've never made that kind of money think, well, if I had whatever amount of millions of dollars, I'd just go play for a dollar somewhere. And that's not how it works. It's not I mean, that for anybody. No, it's as as somebody who's been through the situation where you leave a team. We went through this last yeah. week, where you know fans ask me, "What do you think JJ's thinking about?" Well, a lot of times, what you're not realizing it is that any given player is thinking about fifty different things and factors. You know, yeah. if it's as simple as trying to win a championship, you look at the Vegas odds. I mean, which yep. I did a very good job of uh, towards the end, but. Not everybody's looking at, well, Philly, that was a long shot. But, but I, like, yeah, I thought Green Bay, perfect in a lot of ways and probably his best chance to win a Super Bowl um, and be close to home. But maybe that's not what he wanted at all. I, I don't know. Does it feel like he chose the money over, you know, a contender or is it not that simple? Yeah. See, I think it's a, a bunch of things, like you said. So uh, just looking at it in retrospect, now that we know what he chose, you could you might say, hey, maybe a little bit of a warm weather climate is just a little bit of that. Maybe that's 5%, right? Maybe getting out of Houston was the main thing, right? So then at that point, uh, money is a huge part of it, not because J.J. Watt needs the money or he's greedy, but for what it represents. Mm. You know, when you go to a place, that money determines how much they value you, right? How much you're valued matters. And then also where your sort of rank is in the league. I mean, that, that stuff matters to anybody, yeah. right? You come in to a new job, whatever it is, even if you don't aren't doing it for the money, it doesn't mean that you it's not important. So who was going to pay him a lot? I think they paid him pretty good. Maybe some of these other teams that wanted to add him on the cheap, right? Like Green Bay knows their championship team anyway. Right. So maybe they're trying to get him on the cheap. Well, show me. How can you show J.J. Watt that you have a spot for him and a role and that he really matters? You can do it with money. That stuff makes a difference because of what you're saying because especially if a room's crowded on a good team and there's going to be a lot of guys who are getting reps. Like you, It sounds selfish, but you're a football player first. You want, to, you want to prove you're not washed up. You want to prove that pressure rates don't mean a shit or whatever it is. You know The analytics that have been pointing to him trending downward, actually some have been trending upward. Um, but he wants to prove he's still got it. 
And and maybe for him too, hey, I want to be paired with somebody who, so I'm not going to get doubled all the time. He looks at Chandler Jones. You know, maybe that's the thing. He he knows DeAndre Hopkins there. Maybe they've been talking throughout the year. Who knows about what's going on in Houston or, hey, how's Kingsbury over there? That's a big one. Kingsbury is great. You see him on draft day at his house. That's like our locker room. I mean, it's really chill here. You know, we're not... We're not uptight, man. This is a great place. Um, and you'll come in, you can, you know, you're going to play a ton, you'll play as much as you want. I think the money also means like it gives you some security. JJ Watt pulls his hamstring in OTAs or whatever, or he's working out this summer, you know, yeah. and something in his back goes or something. He's, he made the right call, you know? Yeah. I, I think the weather thing, too, circling back to what you said in the beginning, is something we mentioned on this show is, grass warm weather when you're north of 30 and you've been through everything jj's been through and a lot of that i'm I'm thinking about when you have a bad back or you have joints that are acting up and your coach tells you we're going inside today because the weather's shitty outside so we're going to run around on bad turf two three days before the game that makes a huge difference in how we feel and there's no better grass than arizona grass and there's no better weather than arizona weather uh, that's good for an aging body, dude. It was always hot. Remember they used to do that NFLPA survey of the fields, like which one the players like the best. It would come out like around the Super Bowl every year, and Arizona would always be high. He gets indoors and warm weather and grass. They play indoors on grass. That grass no, field, I know. You know, goes, they, they goes wheel in it in. out of there. It's, it's pretty good. I think that's got to be huge. Think, but, think of the maintenance that it requires for him at this age. Yeah. to be what he thinks is an elite player. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing to do this and to go out to the practice field on the frozen tundra in Green Bay or Pittsburgh or someplace. That was the oh, so that that that's the big question then in my mind is you had some chalky kind of favorites that yeah. You know, for me Green Bay in a lot of ways was outside of the money. I'm just thinking like a football player yeah. was was a yeah. great fit. Now, you mentioned one that yeah, if the if the grass is frozen over, that kind of sucks. Uh, and if Lafleur doesn't take care of his players, I'm not saying he does or he doesn't. But you made a great point about calling a buddy. Hey, Kingsbury, what's he like? D Hop says right. he's great. That matters. Yeah. But what do you think is the thing that eliminated some of these chalky teams, like a Green Bay or a Cleveland yeah. or a Buffalo? I'll default to money. I mean, I think that's probably yeah. It. Um, I think if those guys, if those teams had had the same offer or a little more, um, might make might make you think, right? But I think those teams are more judicious with their money, probably right now, right? They 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 might be a little bit more up against it. They're already good. Um, they, you know, especially for the other thing from a player standpoint is like, how do you predict for sure who's going to win it all? How many times has a team a guy done that, and you go somewhere and then it's a different team that year? You know, I mean. Rodgers has been playing for 15 years and he's won one Super Bowl, right? You know, yeah. Drew Brees, one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. He's won one. So you can try to pick your place for less money and then just be wrong, you know? So Arizona, they're probably not going to win it all, but who knows? No, I mean, and, and that's the thing. You're looking at that division. Anybody can be really good in that division. I, they wouldn't be, I think what confuses some people is maybe they're not thought of as like a true contender for a year or two, but we've seen teams that were kind of fringe just catapult themselves into the conversation. And when you have an X factor like that quarterback, you never know. And one big deficiency they've had, they've got a lot of pressure, but they don't have anybody up front that really scares you. You know, they've got like guys like they acquired Marcus Golden again, who's a damn good rusher. He's he's had flashes. 
You had Hassan Reddick who had a five sack game. Chandler Jones was hurt this past year. So you saw this football team last year that threatened people before Kyler got hurt. Um, and I think lost some momentum in that Seattle game. I think a feared pass rush can put them in contention to win that division. Why can't they win that division? Uh, here's why I love it. We got Russell Wilson telling the team that they got to fix his line. He's obviously looked like he was concerned about the rush late last year. Yeah. And now you add this guy to the division. I mean, are they trying to chase Russell out of the That's division? That's the question. That's <laughs> Is that like I, Steve Kime, diabolical Steve Kime GMs? Like Russell's right on the edge here. Let's push him. Let's get JJ. That's exactly. <laughs> what I was thinking to myself. Like I literally have a question written down. Is he trying to drive Russ out of the NFC West? So great. Like it's just a chess game. It feels like it's not only going to make their football team better. And I don't want to overhype the signing because it's not like hey, listen, there are other defensive linemen and, and rushers that we'll get to in a second who I could make a case for having a better year next year than JJ, but it does, when you pair him with Chandler, scare people, and one of the people it scares is Russell, and Russell's talking about leaving, and that has to factor into what you're doing, and I don't think people think about that enough when you're active in free agency playing chess within the, the division. Yeah, who do you got to beat? They're thinking, okay, we're hopeful of Kyler Murray that he can take a step and be really good, but Russell Wilson's, you know, one of the top three quarterbacks in the league. We have to overcome that. How do we do that? Well, he doesn't like pressure now. He said that, right? He used to run around and all that. Maybe he doesn't want to do that as much. He's talking about wanting to play 10 more years, you know, all those sorts of things. I think also from an Arizona standpoint, this sort of came to my mind. You know, they've like sold out every game since they got that new stadium way back 15 years ago. Yeah. But they have to work. For, they have to work for it. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a place where you have a lot of people from other places, right? There, it, it's not an automatic ticket. So I think when you can add a JJ Watt, when you're trying to uh, generate excitement around your team in that market, it's not Green Bay where they just show up and there's a waiting list for 40 years. Yeah, it's a huge signing for Arizona, a name signing. They can now sell Kyler Murray and JJ Watt, DeAndre yeah. Hopkins, Chandler Jones is less of a known. Pat Peterson's going to be leaving probably, right? Yeah. So. It gives them a real name, I think, that uh, that they can sell too. So you're absolutely right. That's such a good point. And and on top of that, I just it hit me that they played chess in the draft last year, so they thought, and we'll see how it pans out. But yeah. with with, with yeah. Simmons, right? Um, yeah. You know, Simmons is it in part in that building because of a guy like George Kittle. Um, you know, like the ability. Uh, to match up with some of their foes in division and identifying who those are. I think I, I just think Steve Kime is, I, yeah. there's GMs that I just tend to trust at this point, at this juncture. So we're talking about Russell Wilson. Yeah, yeah. You've known him for years through covering the NFC West and, and being in Seattle. Um, I, I think, you know who's the most bummed if he gets traded? The rushers in that division. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, you know, you've seen it. I've, I've, I've lived it. Um, whose fault is it? Mostly organizational, partially rust, some variation of that or one-sided. Um, I think that he has a real beef. the real beef that he has is, Hey, you know, we haven't been on the cutting edge offensively. We have a defensive head coach. You know, the defensive head coaches are always going to default to, run game defense, minimize mistakes when things don't go well. And so as, as Russell Wilson has become a more complete quarterback and, you know, a better passer, not just a guy who ostensibly always had to have the run game in the defense as he's carried more of it. 
you'd like to feel like you're on the cutting edge of uh, what's going on offensively. And Pete maybe stifles that a little bit, just as a defensive coach. Um, it sort of reminds me, this is you know, showing my age a little bit, but if you go back to when John Elway was uh, the first 10 years of his career, Dan Reeves is his coach. Dan Reeves is a borderline Hall of Fame coach. I mean, he was also the GM of the team, very, very powerful. They went to Super Bowls, but Elway was frustrated. And they ended up changing to Mike Shanahan. And 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 John Elway enjoyed like this renaissance. He finished his career and had great numbers and became a great passer, not just a great uh, quarterback leader, you know, two minute guy. So, um, that could be the legitimate criticism of, uh, that Russell Wilson would have. I don't understand why it's going public like this. Like what's, I feel like Russell or his camp aren't really telling us everything of what they're mad about. It feels like a little bit of a push to sort of fight a little bit, or does he want out? Like, you don't do this if it's just, hey, I wish we had a better guard. I wish we had a couple of better guys inside. Like the things that he's actually saying, that's not enough to go nuclear, is it? I don't know. I don't know that it is I, because, I mean, doing this, you risk like, okay, what about the guys who are there uh, playing alongside you and blocking for you? Everybody knows it's a business, but there's like a certain way that you throw the organization under the bus so that you yeah. don't throw the dudes under the bus. And I'm not saying he did that, but what I'm saying is like, yeah. you know, you just have to be careful. And listen, I'm sure in a perfect world, he's not thinking he's gonna finish his career in Seattle. Right, that's what it seems like, but he, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like if you're trying to break up with your high school girlfriend, you don't always, say the exact reason you why. don't just, you just say it <laughs> you drag you just, it out for like a year you just because... don't return the call for a couple of, you know what i mean it's like a there's a lack of maturity in yes the, you're yeah handling like, of just it. say what you, know you know what want I mean? say what you want and you're so right and adults do that too though it's like they okay they're gonna break this thing off and so you know what i just you almost pick a fight you know? well just, you or just just be mature enough to tell the other person what's wrong and you know hey if you can't meet my demands in this relationship I'm out. But he's also like most of these quarterbacks, they're very, uh, they want their, they want their legacy. So you don't want to ruin what you had in Seattle or be the bad guy. Yeah. Well, you're, you're absolutely, because if, if you're trying to get out and you're Russell Wilson, you, you, you do want to be the good guy. You have been a good guy. You have been, you know, a model citizen and somebody that Seattle's probably going to look back at for, you know, in 50 years and think yeah. of him as like a sports legend, an icon in the city. You've got relationships that you don't want to mess up. I'm sure he's made business relationships there. Not, not like, you know, people in the tech industry are going to not want to work with him if he goes and plays for the bears, right. but he does want like a good standing in that city. And I wonder if like this, this kind of back and forth, the way you're framing it is not telling us 100% of what you want eventually leads to a cross wires and then it goes south and then it goes really south. That's the worry. One of the weird things about it is like uh, Pete Carroll is known for being, um, you know, a, a player's coach almost, right? I right. mean, the atmosphere, it's not a doom and gloom. People like coming to work, but, and, and empower your personalities, you know, like, Hey, if you want to speak out on social issues or you want to speak out on politics or police brutality or whatever, do it. Yeah. Oh, have your voice, you know, and that's that's been a, a pretty cool thing, right? Like players yeah. like that. But so many of these top players there sort of leave almost to shooting arrows at them. You know, it's like Richard yeah. Sherman was salty. Earl Thomas was salty. Uh, Marshawn Lynch went back and forth. You know, um, yeah, Bobby Wagner stayed, but 
but I'm um, trying to think there's, there's other, Michael Bennett, you know, was mm-hmm. there and then, and all these guys, maybe later they'll all be at the reunion and everybody be happy, but it felt like it was tense. Uh, Doug Baldwin a little bit, you know, yeah. these were all great, great players, tough players, uh, won a lot of games. And yet they, they sort of, maybe, maybe a, when people leave, it's always a little messy, but it seems like it's been messier than it should have been for what a good atmosphere it seems to be when they're there. I also feel like he's had a collection of guys who are like alpha alphas. Like, you know, like yeah. they've just landed dudes who are just the leaders in the room. You're going to hear their voice the loudest. Uh, they're going to be bold. They're going to say exactly what's on their mind. And so I wonder if like a large percentage of them naturally are going to voice their opinions when they leave because that's the type of alpha kind of guy. I mean, Richard Sherman's going to tell you how he feels. Michael Bennett's going to tell you how he feels. Um, Cam Chancellor. What a leader is Cam Chancellor. You yes. Know? Yes. <laughs> Earl Thomas going to tell you how he feels. Like yeah. they're just, yeah. when you put enough of those guys together, and this is why I think Pete, for all the the knocks on Pete that you know some were legit and the analytics crowd can't stand him and all that stuff and yeah, yeah. he is playing kind of old school football a little bit too much and defensive head coach thing whatever but I think what he does really well um, and time will will prove this out just like with you know Mike Tomlin he has managed personalities well now I'm not comparing um, A B or you know some of the issues that they've had in in Pittsburgh and kept them. Up. But there are a lot of personalities in Seattle and have always been, and I think that they all coexisted until it didn't work out, until the LOB dismantled, until you couldn't pay everybody, until it had to be Russ's football team. But they did a remarkable job of playing together and and using those personalities and harnessing them. Yeah, and I guess in the end, you have to be honest with people and tell them that, hey, we're not going to pay you this much anymore or whatever. Yeah. That, that becomes hard, especially for, like you said, those personalities. I mean, those guys are really – you're lucky on your team if you have one or two of those guys. They've had about eight. Yeah, they had know? eight or ten of them. <laughs> and one of them, you, the one you don't hear anything from is like maybe the biggest alpha of, of them all in Bobby Wagner. Yeah. You know, and yep. so that's – he's a funny anomaly there um, because, yeah. you know, you just – you don't hear from him. You know, Russ is different from that, though. You know, Ru- Russ is like, uh, remember when those guys were there, the, the, you'd see those stories come out like, uh, hey, Ru- you know, is Russ one of the guys? Or, you know, and, yeah. and I, I think he's always one of those guys who's a little aloof or a little distant from uh, people in his own way, you know? And I wonder, that's why I wonder, like, saying these things, you know, does it matter? Does it affect relationships? Does I relationships don't, yeah, because they might just write it off as just Russ doing some Russ off being the Russ, wall he's stuff. a little off anyway, you know? <laughs> Man, no, I think he's finding his voice, honestly. I think he's always been finding his voice. That's just my take on it. And um, yeah. I think he's still figuring out how to tell people, you know, exactly what he wants. And this is maybe, you yeah. know, a symptom of that, where you're like, what is going on here? Like, you know, you can just outright say it. <laughs> Um, yeah. but is, is, are the hits and the pressures on him or is it, do you think it's a, you know, a lack of investment in the O-line because he does get hit a lot, but I tell people a lot of those beautiful deep balls you see him launch, he's had to buy time and he is creating a little bit of a tough situation for the guys in front of him at times. There's no doubt they've had line issues at times in part because they haven't resigned a bunch of guys who were just okay. You know, they had a bunch of guys like, 
James Carpenter or Bruno Giacomini. They're starting players in the league, but but someone else is going to pay them more than you're going to pay them if you're Seattle and you got to pay Sherm and Chancellor and Marshawn Lynch, real frontline guys. So they made some choices there that left them without as good of an offensive line. But at the end of this season, if you would have asked me, hey, what are the three things that Seattle needs? I would have been like, okay, you know, I think they could use a slot receiver to give Russ a quicker option, you know, yeah. uh, just something he can get it out. They need a tight end. Tight you know, they end. tried Greg Olson, but they could really use that. And then, you know, then I would probably go to, hey, what does every team need? You know, give them another pass rusher, maybe, you know, um, that sort of thing. I was not at all thinking this offensive line, they got to get fixed or Russ is going to get killed. I, I just didn't think that was the issue. Second half of the year, they played really good defensive fronts. You know, they played Washington, they played the Giants, they played Philly, they played the Rams two twice in yeah. the playoffs. And I think anybody who plays those teams, even though some of those teams are not marquee teams, the Giants defensive front or the Eagles defensive front, I mean, they have players. And I think that those defenses did a good job against Russ and against Seattle. And they were all down the stretch in the second half after he was on fire the first half. Yeah. So it was just created this contrast and people were like, well, Pete got conservative. And it's like, well, who you play is a huge part of it in this league, right? Isn't yeah. who you play. Almost no offenses do great against the top defenses all the time. No, None yeah. of them. no, I mean, so uh, that's it's, what I think it's, happened. it's when you look at your schedule card at the beginning of the year, we'd look at, you know, do we have a run of teams that are actually going to throw the ball in a row? Like, because as rushers, you want to get in a rhythm and that sort of thing. Like, do you have a run of teams that have patchwork offensive linemen? Do you have a run of teams that have quarterbacks who aren't mobile? That would be a big one for me. Like, if I get a month straight of, you know, Kyle Orton, that'd be great. Uh, but it's not always going to happen. And I think Russ probably knew coming into the season, eh, that back half's tough. But I don't think he... I don't think he understand how I don't think he understood how sideways it would get because there was obviously the Seattle uh the implosion in the Cardinals game uh where they lost that game the first yeah. one um in the desert and then he kind of pulled himself back out but then he just never got his footing uh in that first half you're right he was an MVP candidate So when you this is a good one you can answer as a player so for forever in Seattle, even though Russell Wilson was great, when you played them, you're worried about 24 Lynch or, you know, you know, they're going to run it. And so you play a certain type of defense, a certain type of coverage that, you know, you're going to get, maybe you're going to get beat on some of those uh, throws down the field yeah. after he buys time. Cause you're worried about, you got eyes in the backfield and you're really worried about them controlling the game. They're going to play defense. And I feel like this year, that whole let's let Russ cook thing happened where they really were, above Kansas city, even above Andy Reid, of how much they were throwing it. Yeah. And I think then teams play you differently. You know, yeah. I think when you play teams played Peyton Manning differently, then they play a team that has a great running game and is going to hand it off. Right. Then you play a Mike Shanahan team. Right? Oh, absolutely. And the way we thought when we went up there was, yeah, I mean, like the identity of that football team was a little bit different because this was like in the transitional years where it was going from, yeah. Legion of Boom is a defensive football team to it's Russ's team. Yeah. Like, you know, my last year was 15, but we used to get after him and we loved playing the Seahawks because they ran zone sideline to sideline and we had the front to disrupt the zone. So, you know, where some teams might have had to load the box even more than us, like we we felt like we if we could stop the run with light boxes or lighter boxes, 
then we're going to make Russ really beat us. And he's one of the best quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion. But back then, they didn't make him be one of the best quarterbacks of all time with regularity. So it was literally Marshawn's team, that run game, the defense, yep. and a few shots that always broke your back in a 13-7 type ball game. We knew that was the kind of ball game it was going to be when we yep. got up there. And, uh, and you're right. The way teams play them is totally different when they're unleashing him. And the more they throw the ball in for a second down, it'll change things even more. But you got to have a run game to cash that in. You know, your run game becomes the change yeah. up, and they just haven't had that. And I don't know if that's the way Pete wants to play ultimately either. You yeah. Know? And, and maybe, you know, they, they just got Shane Waldron, who was a McVeigh guy, you know, and is going to run that offense there. So we'll see um, if they can you know, sort of find that balance. I think tempo is a part of it too. They could play faster. They know, could than, than do. They have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think they will. I think that's going to be a big part of it, which is that's one of the weird parts about this is, okay, if, if Russell has beefs about how they play offense, I think this coordinator change helps that. And I think he was sitting in on it. I think he was endorsed it. And that's why I wasn't anticipating this um, to come out. Like, right after the Super Bowl for him to just go on the offensive, you know, Dan Patrick show, Ellen DeGeneres. It was a, it was a, <laughs> it was a plan, right? It wasn't You're just like, like he made an offhand remark that got taken out of your Pete Carrier. Like what the fuck the Ellen show? Like I gotta, like yeah, usually yeah, a, head, yeah. a head coach don't have to worry about what's on the Ellen show, but uh, yes, but it was like, he was you know saying these things like, and so then that's why part of me was like, okay, what there's a, there's a motive to this that is bigger than, because if you, if you want to, if you think the offensive line needs to be upgraded, you can say that internally, like, yeah. what, what are we going to do? You know? Right. And now maybe they're, maybe he's done that and they've said, mind your own business. So, but. so, so you, so it sounds like to me, you think he's not getting moved and in, in, in any of these, in any of these circumstances, I think we're going to, we're going to, we're going to encounter more and more like it. The likelihood is that these, teams are not going to want to move a Deshaun Watson unless Deshaun just wins the pissing contest or, you know, Russ is not going to be for sale. Nobody's rushing to make phone calls to ship Russell Wilson. But do you think, do you so, think there's any chance? Well, I think that this potentially sets the clock going for the future. Right. So he's got three years left on this deal. In theory, they could franchise some, they could, he could be there for a long time, but um, does this now, is, are they going to be a team now that is at all the quarterback workouts? You know what I mean? We're going to hear about that. And maybe they draft one in the third round, or maybe next year they're looking at one. Maybe, is If he doesn't get traded now, does is it fractured enough that they're getting ready to make sure that they could maybe move in a year from now? I, that wouldn't shock me. The four teams that his agent put out were baffling to me. Okay, so give me, like give it, me, give me the, the most baffling and then the one that actually makes sense. Well, Chicago is baffling to me huge, because huge baffle. You know, energy. unless he thinks he can go in there, and uh, the GM and coach are vulnerable, and he could get a seat at the table if that's really what he wants. Yeah, you know, go in there and help pick the coach, and then you're in an iconic franchise. I think one thing that stood out is all of these teams, except for maybe the Saints, are iconic branded franchises, right? If you're in Russell's Wilson's, obviously talking about his brand and his legacy. To put that Raider, you know that Raider shield, yeah, it right? Looks cool. <laughs> Your it dad looks so wore that cool. shield. Oh. The Bear C, you know, the Dallas Star. Mm -hmm. You see those things, and that that's marketable. And you're a hero in those cities and fan bases. You're anointed forever. The St. I mean, Louis Rams have... shoulder patch, circa 08, right there under the Reebok, <laughs> exactly the the Reebok emblem. 
just right there. <laughs> exactly the same. It's right there exactly with the, the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys star. So that was part of it. Then offensive coaches at the other ones, you know, that was part of it, I think, too. Maybe he's looking to do that. I think Sean Payton would be huge for him because he idolizes Drew Brees, who's a shorter quarterback. They've built that offensive line to give create some better visual throwing lanes for him, probably. Sean Payton knows how to uh, – fine-tune tailor that offense to a specific player he can play Taysom Hill he yeah can play Drew Brees you know what I mean so he probably thinks he could go set records there um and then you get in the whole thing okay it's sort of like we're guessing on JJ Watt does Sierra want to be in Las Vegas or you know there's mm-hmm. maybe there's a team for everybody here you know mm-hmm. what I mean there's sort of the the team where I could go win and get stats that's the Saints mm-hmm. you know the team where I could go down as the hero in lore for Chicago because they've never had a quarterback going back forever right? To yeah. be, I could do that. Uh, Vegas. Hey, it's the entertainment capital. Dallas, <laughs> the marketing, the biggest stadium, the brightest lights. I could see world. Ru- I could see Russ at a Vegas show. <laughs> yeah. Could you see Russ? At a, and uh, I guess the first day he walked into camp his rookie year, could you ever imagine that Russ would get so quote unquote cool? Never. You know, I think they were so I think he, what was they? I'm drawing a blank of what they called him when he first got there, like the robot. You know, he was just so. I think he was so he blew away everybody by how serious he was. Like he was already like a sixty year old man. You yeah, know, like, yeah. Com- He's always been like type A. Just just from watching him, like because he played my brother in high school, so you'd see yeah. him and you were just like, this kid is the kid who spares no attention to detail. I mean. The maturity he was had his off life the charts. Like he had his life plan. You know, yeah. most of us fumble around and you get into this or that. And you, by the end, you look back and it wasn't part of some grand plan. Yeah. You, you knew you knew this guy. So you got that job or you went to this team or if in your case or whatever. No, he's like, I think he's constantly every day reevaluating where he's at on his journey to Canton and being uh, owning a team or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, he's thinking bigger things than than I guess. Then I guess I'm thinking, I'm just thinking about getting these pots out. <laughs> All right, last thing, uh, Mike. Who's a team, I guess, out of that group that lost the most by not signing him? And of all the free agents left, who do you like best? To me, maybe Tennessee lost the most because I feel like they're holding on. You know, I feel like Tannehill's not going to play that great forever. You lost your offensive coordinator. Who knows what that infrastructure is uh, uh, Derrick Henry has so long being a running back, right? Yeah. And then defensively, they lost Dean Pease. They didn't really have a replacement. Clowney didn't work out. Uh, they got bad on defense. So they need to prop that thing up. And uh, I feel like so for a team like that, that maybe is going to drop off, um, that hurts. Yeah, that really not does be in the Knicks when you have Mike Rabel there, who was with them, right? You'd think you might have the inside track. So uh, that would probably be the team there. What was the second part of the The question? second part is um... – I'll, I'll read them to you. The ones left, Leonard Williams, Von Miller, Shaq Barrett, Bud Dupree, Clowney, and uh, Ngakwe. So oh, yeah. out of those like marquee guys, give me one dream fit that's going to work out the best out of those names. Like for Shaq, it could be just staying in Tampa. <laughs> um, wow. But somebody who's going to get a huge ROI on one of these guys. Leonard Williams, a good young player. Would he be a Patriot? You'd know better than me. Would that be a Patriot signing if they have a bunch of room and you could, you know, you're trying to get better quick? You know what? And I don't like throwing this name around, but you know, like, could use a Richard Seymour. Not that he's Richard Seymour, yeah. uh, but 
that that is such a valuable kind of dominant like they've paid guys up front there that are not sexy names because they're integral down lineman type guys who can do different things for them leonard would be the the most high profile of those teams the other day i threw out that i think leonard would be fun in dallas because i i if dallas is going to be more aggressive than they were this year hopefully they are um yeah he's a guy who who aggressiveness unlocked his game vertical uh a vertical scheme where he can get off the ball him lawrence but yeah i mean von miller shoot i'm buying him low he's going to be incredibly motivated coming off this injury i can just tell he's he's chomping at the bit yeah so like i haven't gone through and thought of like all the schemes and stuff but you know the raiders need a lot of help defensively and play your old team a couple times a year but you might not you might be a playoff team. You know, I don't know if they're going to go win at all. Is there a team you love for for him? I mean, I'm trying to think of who he's been <sighs> with schematically. You know, he's with Wade, who's not really doing something right. He could be anywhere. I mean, I'm trying but, to let me let me think. Let me pause for a second let's, here. Let's go through. Yeah, I'm almost thinking like, um, you know, it's not a Mike Zimmer. You know, I'm trying to think of like who the. I'm thinking know, of somebody who's a rusher away. I mean, Buffalo would be, and he could just be a sub guy. I mean, he could. They could find ways to play him on first and second down. Buffalo That's, is. You think about you think about their front, and and I love Jerry Hughes. I mean, Jerry Hughes yeah. has been criminally underrated his entire career. But if you add somebody that really scares people up front, as far as like just winning one on ones with consistency. They're a team that's very close and doesn't have a, a formidable pass rush. Mario Addison, really, you know. I really like Buffalo. So I had Buffalo as a team for J.J. Watt, too. Of course, he'd have to be freezing there and, you know, maybe he doesn't want to do that. But I like I like Buffalo for them. I know this isn't probably what anyone's going to think of from, a, you know, everyone gets into the salary cap and all of that. But, shoot, Kansas City, could you imagine? Ooh. Having- Having Chris Jones, let's just say you want. Let's just say Andy Reid said, get, "Make this happen. Frank come Clark, on a one year. Get, get healthy Jones. for one year, Vaughn. Just get come win a title for one year. We'll do a one year deal. Yeah, for fifteen million bucks. However, it is we'll restructure whoever we have to. And see, we're just going to make a run. See that fifteen. That version of a pay cut sounds so cool. Fifteen mil. Yeah. Just we'll just we'll get this done one year. You just got to eat it for one year. Fifteen mil. It's going to be a rough year, Vaughn. Like that's what it's you like, gotta yeah, sell like them on. It's like the clowny sort of rental year, you know, but it's more than that. Clowny got 13 or whatever. You're sort of Von Miller's better than Clowney, but he's coming off an injury. It's not the best time for him to enter into a long-term deal because uh you're gonna have concerns as the team about his health. What does he have left? So, but but for his standpoint, he doesn't want to do a prove it deal where I don't get paid. Right. You know what I mean? But he doesn't want to lock into a bad deal. He wants a chance to get one more bite at the apple and be the highest paid guy. So what if you go and get 16 sacks and win a Super Bowl for Kansas City? Oh, you're going to... And you just crush Drew Locke or whoever's playing for Denver. You you get five <laughs> sacks against Denver, guaranteed. Oh, he'll, be, have a, he'll have a Khalil Mack day. Remember the Khalil Mack five sack yeah. day? You know, So that's my fantasy. As I'm thinking about it, uh, one really... You mentioned Clowney, one really good selling point if i'm schneider and the guys up in seattle i say look if you're a d lineman come here look what we got out of jadavian Clowney. we got three and a half sacks out of Clowney. that's a lot <laughs> that's just five years of his career i mean come on 
<laughs> Mike Sando, I appreciate you, man. It is great catching up. Uh, love, 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 love your work. So uh, if you get a chance to go read, Mike, uh, do it ASAP. Thanks so much, Chris. It's been, been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Really great reconnecting with Mike Sando. Um, again, does great work. Love his writing. Sarah Thomas is somebody I'm really excited to talk to. I played in, I guess, four games that she officiated. And honestly, I don't remember my reaction to her becoming an official uh, in the NFL, probably because I thought that, and she'd probably tell you the same thing. I can't wait to ask her. It's not a big deal. Can, it, can, she, do the, can she do the job? I mean, that's all anybody cares about is how competent you are. And I can only imagine that somebody who's had to work extra hard to overcome obstacles and barriers must be exceptionally uh, talented and exceptionally competent. And most refs you talk to are pretty damn cool. I've run into my old like ACC refs before at like a bar or maybe on a football field because they matriculated to the NFL and those guys are always, it's just always a nice little conversation. They know the game, um, they take their job seriously and she was the first woman to do that on so many levels. First woman to officiate a major college football game, Memphis and Jacksonville State in 2007. And then 2009, she's the first woman to officiate a, a bowl game, Little Caesars Pizza Bowl, Marshall, Ohio. And I just like all these firsts she stacked up, it wasn't like she became a, an NFL official overnight. She really grinded for a long time at this thing. So I definitely wanna talk about that journey and what a big deal it is that she's, uh, she's accomplished so many firsts. But also, I just wanna talk about the rules and like, what goes into being an official, you know, uh, behind the scenes and, you know, helmet to helmet stuff, holding. They're not even calling that stuff anymore. What gives? I'm a D lineman. I got a referee on the pot. I'm going to ask her. Um, so there's a lot, a lot to talk about here. Without further ado, let's get to Sarah Thomas. We've got Sarah Thomas here. Um, gosh, the list of firsts that you've enjoyed, that you've, uh, you've kind of trailblazed for other women in the space. I mean, the list is too long. I guess I should start by asking you, is there a favorite first of yours at all your football accolades? Uh, Chris, honestly, every season. I mean, just that first game, that first kickoff, I, that's what I live for. I love it. Uh, stumbled into it because I hated the officials when I played basketball or the umpires when I was playing softball. <laughs> yeah. and and truth be told, they probably hated me, but seriously, falling in love with it. And every time we get to go out there and kick it off, I love it. That first start of the season. One of them, uh, you know, in 2009, I believe it was, uh, you, you were the first woman to officiate a bowl game, Little Caesars Bowl with Marshall in Ohio. And one thing that jumped out at me is the MVP of that game, Martin Ward. His quote follows as, I noticed her before the game, but that was it. Once the game started, she was just doing the job that the line judge does in every game we play. It didn't matter. She was a woman at all. Did you take that as a compliment at the time? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, I, I want to be an official. I don't want to be designated as the girl official. Um, but I know that I am a female and I'm not going to change that. 
but still, yeah, I, I take that as a huge compliment. Yeah, because I, I figure it's tough for you towing the line between, like, listen, there are a lot of young girls looking up to me, and you know, it's obvious this is a positive thing for football, but you also don't want to make a big deal about it. So how do you tow that line? Chris, I don't know if I really do a good job of it because, yes, I, I exactly what you're saying. I know that there are girls. I have a daughter that is watching me, not right. just on the field, off the field, but knowing that I just want to be an official. Um, and it really didn't hit me. And I've said this. Um, I was at a, I was at a game, my second season in the NFL, and a coach comes up to me, and I mean a legendary coach. And he just said, thank you. And I said, for what? And he said, just what you're doing. I have two daughters and they now believe they know more about football than I do. And I've been coaching football their entire <laughs> right? So when he said that, I just was like, this, this is going to, this is going to leave a mark, if yeah. you will. Yeah. But, but Chris, honestly, I, ha I have two boys too. And I, I want them to understand that being with a successful woman uh, driven woman that uh, they don't need to be intimidated and they need to look at her as like a partner and, and treat her with respect. And I, I jokingly tell them, if you ever call her up and she's working just as hard as you are and you ask her what she's cooking for dinner, I will find you and mm, I will be. I will you know? find you and I will, you know, the rest. <laughs> oh, Liam Neeson. I've heard the story about your brother when he brought you to that meeting in 1996. You walked in the door. You say the reception was warm. Uh, it was your first offici officiating meeting, and it was on a whim? It was. It literally was. I just joined my brother there, and he told me. He stopped me before we went in there, and he said, hey, sis, you're going to get some stares. These are a bunch of old men sitting their ways, and I'm like, I can handle them. So we walk in, and sure enough, George Nash is at the front. I mean, he's just an old fella, and uh, and I'm I'm being nice about that, and so I just look at him and I said, is this where you become a football official? And I can't repeat what he said. And then he said, I guess so. But you know what, Chris, if it hadn't been for him and those guys at, at that association meeting, I wouldn't be where I am. They didn't sugarcoat. They didn't um, just hide, you know, keep things from me. They he even said, he said, I told the guys, Hell, she's 23. She's in better shape than all of us. Her eyesight's better than us. I mean, <laughs> that's all true. That's all true. You're going to be a high school official at this time. That's right. Back in the 90s. And then at some point, you were ready to walk away from officiating, period now? Yes. What yep, happened? So, of course, I uh, was, I had two kids during my 10 years while I was officiating right. high school. And about the eighth, ninth year, uh, my white hat here, Larry Tucker, he said, Sarah, I really want you to be line of scrimmage official on my JUCO crew. And he said, you need to apply. And so I got my stuff together. And about the end of the ninth year, he says, all right, well, don't apply. He said, because he said he'd never hire you. They'll sign a secretary for the JUCO association here in Mississippi said he'd never hire a woman. And so I just, that 10th season, the boys are getting older, Bridley's starting to play sports, you know, the whole, I need to be at home and, and do that. And, and, and any occupation, Chris, I, I mean, I tell my kids all the time, I don't want you to start at the top. I want you to start at the bottom and work your way up. And that's just like in the world of officiating. Right. So when he told me that I said, you know what, if they're not going to take me on my merit or if I can work, I mean, I'm not going to prove 
myself as a woman. I mean, I, I, it's hard enough doing this, just being an official. And lo and behold, what I thought was my last game, there was an NFL scout at this championship that I was given the, I guess, granted to work. And he called me up and he said, I think you've got what it takes to get in the next level. And I said, he had my attention with NFL. I mean, really? I, these people exist. Mm. And he plugged me in with Gerald Austin, Conference USA. So I bypassed the Duco level here in Mississippi. And the way I heard it was there was a call that, and you may not want to give yourself too much credit, but you kind of saved the day on, what was it, an illegal formation or something to that effect? They noticed you running back on the field to get something right. What was it about that call that wasn't right? So they, uh, the chains had moved yeah. and you know, that's just the big cardinal sin. And what it seemed like it's, it was forever. They couldn't get the chain set up and it was across from me. So when I saw the chains move, I immediately looked at my auxiliary guy and I said, you're still in the same spot. You hadn't moved. He said, that's right. I said, all right, we're going back in five. It's going to be first and 15. Mm. And, uh, when I went in, they set up like first and 10 after we marked the penalty off. It was just, it was just a little bit of a fabacle. But you fixed it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess I did. And they listened, which is great. And then, and there happened to be a scout in the building, which is crazy. I don't think people understand that. I didn't know this. I mean, shoot, I've been around referees my entire life. I did not know that there were NFL officiating scouts. What year was this that, that this scout picked you up to go to Conference USA? That was that was 2000, December of 2006, and then Gerald hired me April of 2007. And in 2009, you're officiating a bowl game. And then next thing you know, what what happens to catapult you into the NFL? You know, Chris, it was the I would I would say, of course, just the crews and the guys that I was around that kept supporting me and kept, you know, I guess just that camaraderie and the study sessions that we would do and then able to do the the training camps. Right. Uh, the Saints are close by. They were in Jackson. Uh, at Millsaps and I would go do that. Then I would go to Metairie and I would go to the training camps, the senior bowls and all those places that you can get some, you know, some looks. Mm -hmm. They were really concerned. There was a couple of supervisors in the NFL that were really concerned if I would be able to keep up with the speed and agility of the athletes in the power five conferences that ultimately I think, I don't know what percentage it is that make up most of the NFL. So sure enough, I miss a DOF offside for whoever's listening. I'm sure everybody doesn't know what DOF is, but. I didn't know that. And I've been called a million times. I think you <laughs> called me for offsides once. You did our <laughs> Oakland. I looked this up and you don't have to comment on anything, but I had two sacks in that game. One of them, I was offsides. Was that, was that on your side or the other side? I would say the other side. Chris. Thank it you. I was appreciate that. Was, yeah. I figured it wasn't you, but. I mean, it was just a, you know, I, I was just so quick at 33 years old that I looked offsides, but I was actually. That happens. Yeah, you know what happens. So <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it happens. There's a, there's a guy that's retired right now, and as soon as I threw at a false start, and his timing's just impeccable. He looked at me. He said, "You missed it." <laughs> Did right. you miss it? Did you miss I was, it? I missed it. Yeah, <laughs> his timing was. I even told myself jokingly, I said, the only way I'm going to throw it on this guy is if he literally falls out of his stance. That's right. the only way I'm not, you know. Right. And um, yeah, so I that senior bowl of 2014, mm -hmm. uh, players offside, he was a defensive end at Auburn. And then he sacked the quarterback. So 
I didn't make it to the league that year, 2014, and everybody thought I would be in in 2014. So I, uh, Gerald Austin's talking to me, and he tells me, he said, they're not going to hire you, and I'm like waiting for the punchline from Gerald, right? And he said, they're not going to hire you. And immediately I said, all right, what did I do or not do? He said, don't start with that self-doubt. And, and I said, look, you, you never wanted to like, you know, give me a pep talk when you were getting on my tail after I miss a play or do right. something wrong in the game. And I said, I said, I did something or I, or, or I didn't do something. I said, but let me get a glass of wine first. So I got a glass <laughs> of wine. But it was that play and how I know it was that play because I go to a mini camp, supervisors in the vehicle, and he goes, Sarah, number 55 will forever be your guy. And so I went and found 55 because he was there. And I, I reminded him what happened. And I said, that kept me from getting into the NFL. I said, you got me once. I said, but you won't get me again. And he said, well, I'm glad you didn't call it because it got me in the NFL. So I appreciate it. And, you know, and, and uh, while guess that you don't have to confirm or deny, this guy had one of the most egregious lined up in the neutral zone uh, calls in playoff history. You don't I'm have not. to you don't have to say anything. Is Auburn defensive end number fifty-five? Sounds like a guy I know uh, that maybe played for the Chiefs. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I uh, so so when you got to the NFL, you talked about like it felt like you deserved to be there that year, but the one call, um, which is wild. It's just like players. We make a play, uh, or we don't make a play in a big moment, and that could you know that could slow your ascension down or whatever. Um, it could get you less playing time. But when you get there. Do you feel like early on, was there an instance where you felt the forces of like doubt um, kind of sure. aimed at you? I don't, I don't know necessarily aimed, but I've seen it in some of the guy officials when they come on, you know, a rookie or their second year. And yeah. that first year, it's like you have a good year. And then that second year, all right, you're not where you, you believe you should be. And then certain things may happen. And then, you know, there's doubt towards the guys too. But yeah, sure, sure, I felt it, um, and maybe it was warranted. I, I was a rookie official in the NFL. But yeah, you, yeah, but you know what? Here's the thing: when there's a rookie official that that pops on the field, I probably don't notice that it's a rookie official. Like you know, being real, like the first female rookie official, you're always going to deal with just an extra bit, like. They, all those official guys mostly look the same to me until they got the flag in their hand, but like. You know, when there's when there's a woman on the field, like it's a momentous occasion, and it's in and there is a difference. So I wonder if, like, at any point, you did feel unwelcome. Yeah, I mean, there was, there's, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, but it wasn't necessarily competence builds confidence for yep. us. And there's some great coaches that didn't play the sport, right? A lot of them. But it was a huge learning curve for me at each level, honestly. Yeah. Um. And, you know, another thing, the guys that have played it, them reading the defense as a as an official, and I would always read the offense. And whenever I was on my second year, I started picking up defenses, and it really made it a lot easier – not easier, but um, I could I could sense things before they would happen. And that's only that's only progressed and, and made me a better official. Um, but all of that to say, Chris, the great – versus the good in the NFL. I mean, it's a small percentage of, you know, that separates a player. Yeah. And the same thing with an official. And so if we constantly look at the doubt or whatever, and you don't start with number one, you won't, you won't have the longevity in the NFL. 
that's something I, you know, I want to come back to the, the situational awareness thing. Um, cause you just mentioned it. One of my questions is going to be like, do you as an official, when the ball crosses the 50 and it's on like the 40 yard line or there's a sudden change, are you thinking shot? Like we're probably going to get a block them up, take a shot. So it's just one situation, like football situational uh, awareness and knowledge. You guys have that too. It sounds like you guys are, are trying to anticipate a type of play you might see. And as soon as the guys come out from the huddle and set up, I mean, you're immediately, I'm picking up who I have. And of course I'm looking at his defending name. Yeah. There's yeah. Third and long or fourth and short. What are we going to do? I mean, it's, yeah, it's constant. The football IQ is what I like to say. And yeah, situational awareness. A lot of people like that in life, but yeah, yeah. no doubt. (laughs) What about coaches? Like when they come up to you, because I've seen coaches do this or they've been like, Hey, we got this play we're running all week. You know, they're going to come conference with you before the game and tell you presumably to look for this abnormal thing we're going to do. Well, Chris, we we meet with the coaches. Yeah, uh, we'll go and we'll have our pregame meeting in their their office there at the stadium. And of course, we'll ask them, is there anything for us or anything that maybe we should look for um, for your team or the other team? And, and they'll they'll mention it. They'll mention it. But this year it was it was I think everybody was just happy to be out there. Right. What's the most dangerous spot on the field? Is it the umpire? Yeah, I would say the umpire would have been the most dangerous. But you know, I I've I've been hit. I mean, Kyle Rudolph crushed me. He and another player. They, Kyle they, Rudolph hit me too, man. I didn't like that so much. You you <laughs> broke your wrist though, right? It was the like what how did that happen? Busted play, quarterback. Usually the quarterbacks are run straight at the I was the line judge then. Mm-hmm. Usually they'll find us because we they know we're the line of scrimmage. Right. And they've got time, they can run and and dump it right before they go beyond us. But this quarterback, he just flared out. And when he did, I've got to watch him make sure he doesn't step out of bounds. Right. So I take my eyes off of the receiver and the defender. And sure enough, as soon as I peek to see if he's stepping out, he wings it and I go to turn to look at feet. And I mean, I got trucked. And uh I believe it was um uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck, they were like, oh, she's going in for concussion protocol. And I tell everybody, nobody even asked me if I had a headache. I did not go through concussion protocol. Oh, so that's false because I read that you did. <laughs> okay, that's good. All right. <laughs> um, I just knew my wrist was – something was wrong with my wrist. Okay. And uh, when I got in that tunnel, I tell everybody I lost my religion. I mean, I was so mad. I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, the girl got hit on national television on Christmas Eve and – so they take me back there to the trainer's room and I said, um, they're going to x-ray me. And I just looked at them because women of childbearing years, you know, they have to put this thing over us when they do an x-ray. So I said, hey, guys, by the way, I'm not pregnant. And they went, oh, yeah, we've never x-rayed a woman in here. So that was that was funny. <laughs> and uh, so it's broken and I'm sitting on the trainer's table and it was a one sided game. Right. When I left seven minutes or something. And then I look up and there's about four minutes and something left to go in the game. And I said, put this splint on. I'm going back in this game. And there was a player on the trainer's table and he looked at me, he said, you're one bad, whatever. And I said, the NFL security said, you're not serious. Or I said, oh yeah, we're going back through that tunnel. I love that. I love that. Let's go. I'm ready to play again. All right, here we go. (laughs) My kids though, the funny thing is at the end of the game, you could imagine the amount of text messages, phone calls I had. And so I called my kids and, they, mom, are you okay? And I told them, yeah, I just have a broken wrist. And they said, well, you do know you got run over by Kyle Rudolph on Christmas Eve because it was Christmas Eve. Oh, that's like, good. 
That's perfect. How about number 53? How do you pick your numbers? Like we make a big deal out of picking our numbers. How do y'all pick your numbers? All right. Well, this is funny. Uh, Number two is what my boys wanted me to get when I got hired because that was their baseball numbers at the time. Number two was already taken. So 53 was out there and I was like, you know what? I'm 153 in the developmental program. I was like, just take the one off and give me 53. And then, <laughs> and then somebody said, Sarah, you got to be kidding me. So you're the first. So you were 153 and now it's like you're in the league. It's 53. It's kind of weird. But you know what, Chris, it doesn't matter what number I have or initials I have on the back of my jersey. Yeah. Because it doesn't help me with fourth and inches at the goal line. So. No, you're right. But some of our numbers make us look faster or slower. Or, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I just figured maybe. And this is another question. I've seen you, you, you scoot, man. Like a lot of these officials can really run. I wonder how many miles a game y'all actually log. Have you ever, We're, like, I'm sure they got y'all hooked up to Fitbits and whatnot. We've got these trackers, like, um, the Bourne Supremacy or whatever, what Jason Bourne had, he's stuck. We've got those same trackers. All the us. best athletes in the world have them. Jason Bourne, Sarah Thomas. <laughs> they didn't give me one of those. So so what does it say? How many miles a game? Do, I guess it varies per per position on the field. Like maybe a line judge is going to move m more up and down. I don't know. Yep. So I, I average anywhere from six to seven miles a game. I believe the back judge is the one that probably has the most, anywhere from probably eight to nine. Yeah. Ooh, there's got to be some good athletes. Who's the best athletic referee that you know of that people are like low key? They should know about this guy or girl. You know, so I could go your age group of 60 year olds. No, I'm not going down that avenue either. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Dino Paganelli's pretty, pretty athletic back judge. He was in the Super Bowl with me. Okay. Uh, Sean Hockley's pretty good. Let me tell you something. Ramon George, umpire. Ramon George. He was a player in the league. Oh, really? Yeah. So do you yep. think he sees the game better than other officials the first day, like what we were talking about earlier? Have you ever talked to him about that? Uh, yeah, and uh, he and there's another guy in the league, TK, Terry Killen. He played for Tennessee. It's funny to hear them talk about it. They understand the game. They can see a read that's coming that, of course, someone like me couldn't. But they both have said they really did not know the, the, the complexity of the rules and what all we had to go through. Right. But yeah, Ramon George can scoot. He is good. TK's good too. I would never know the rules. That's why it's so interesting asking you about them. Um, how about like with the game changing, just talking about rules right now, the game's changing, shorter passes, like kind of more bubble screens, like the passing games changes. People are getting to the run game through a bunch of different ways. Like, so how do you call something like blocking down the field, like illegal blocking down the field? Like, how are you guys handling that? situation with the way the game's changing so idp and eligibles are gosh forbid if they're down there and they blocked and we've got opi but um that's that's the whole thing chris you're right with these bubble screens and uh the the rpos if there is any glitch in the timing yeah. from the quarterback or whatever th those those offensive linemen are going to fire on and we'll we'll give them tweeners you know it's about two yards but by god it, they'll fool you because when if they drop back at all, then they really probably got three or four yards from where they're starting because they're already behind the line of scrimmage. Right. But it's all in timing. It's it's all in timing. Yeah, because uh, we always feel like they get away with stuff, and one of them would be holding, which I just stopped looking for holding calls after a certain point in my career. Maybe it was because I wasn't good enough to get them anymore. 
<laughs> or like in actuality. But then there's also like the league kind of seemed to de-emphasize holding. Do your best to explain to me, washed up defensive end in the NFL, what holding is today in 2021 in the NFL. I think there's still a lot of discussion around that. But mm. yeah, you know, especially you being a defensive end, we, we want to see that material restriction. You know, yeah. and once once they restrict you and your feet, um, you're you beating, then yeah. Um, matter of fact, I mean that's that's last year it seemed in 2019, that's what I should say, two seasons ago. We uh it seemed like we were you know, wanting to call holding off a technique. Yeah. Like the technique, the technique might be bad or a lot of backside holding. I remember that, that year uh, when it really didn't have any effect on the play. Right. And, because there is that kind of like, you know, if you're going by the book all over the field at any time, you could have probably a foul somewhere. Right. But there is like a certain common sense equation you got to put together in your head. Like, does this matter? Right. Sure. Absolutely. You know, there's rules in place and I'll never forget this. This is what my white hat told me in high school. He said, sure, there's rules, but don't let the rules get in the way of a really good game. <laughs> you know, tiki tack or Gerald puts it this way, the spirit of the game. Yeah. I think in 2019, you saw a lot of the technique this year, there was more, you know, emphasis on clear and obvious and, and there's got to be restriction, and sure enough, that's what we we had a clear message from Walt Anderson this year. Because there's about. a really tough one where like uh, an end is burning a corner, and he's ripped under, and he almost puts himself in a chokehold, you yep. know. Um, and it there's like a fine line between what's restrictive and what's a tackle, just continuing to rotate and allow that rusher to continue his path, you know, on a loop to the quarterback. Like there's a lot of gray area there. There is. That's that's true. When he's just when you're ripping through, and then like you say, you almost by that rip, you're you're clotheslining. You know, you're causing it. Yeah, it's tough. And then by that time, when all that happens, yeah, you're you could be right close to the quarterback. But a lot of times that ball's out, especially this year. That ball was out so quick. That's the thing that's about yeah, the ball is getting out quick, and sometimes you got to get desperate to get there, and sometimes you're getting held. Another one is a lot of times, and this one that is one that kind of bothered me was. If I get pushed into a quarterback's legs or if I'm getting held around my neck and then let go at the last second, well, I'm going to fall forward and hit the quarterback low and then I get hit with a flag. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you feel bad for us? Well, Chris, I'm going to tell you, I'm glad I don't have to call that. Right, Because right. I you, when you hear the White Hats talk about it, it's, it's tough. It's tough. You know, and it's just like the – I remember when I got in and they they were the defenseless receiver. Now it's defenseless player, both right. offensively and defensively. But – I remember thinking, how oh, in the world are these D-backs not going to be able to uh, hit them? Mm -hmm. And they, they've adjusted. So, you know, when it comes to the RPS talking about, yeah, it's tough. I'm just glad I don't have to call that one. Oh, I know. I know. Um, how about helmet to helmet? Can the offensive players take a little bit more uh, of the blame in some of these helmet to helmet hits? Yeah, you know, Chris, and that's, it's, it's tough for us we, when we are on the field right on top of it. And they're here. They both are coming in. I think this year we had one that um, I'm not sure. Maybe it was an offsetting. Like they, it was a both of them. Oh yeah, yeah. You, um, you're you're probably right. It, it probably could be just as much offensively as it is defensively. But it, it's it's a tough call. What do you look for for like intent? We were talking about this offline. A lot of times these conversations between officials and players really interestingly happen like one of the first nights of camp or like the first. <laughs> 
really in training camp, the first day we have a big padded practice and you have officials come in and help us get through our practices. A lot of times at night we'll meet and in the big auditorium will be players just firing questions at officials. So Sarah's been here before. Yep. I love it. So the thing is, um, and that was a huge thing this year with the rookie officials and of course players yeah. not having the mini camps and the training camps and all oh, because those meetings are great. They're great for us y'all. But when it comes to the use of helmet, um, it's posture. Like when you just see him, you know, tuck his head and go after him. We, um, we've, I threw a couple this year and then I've, um, we've counseled with some of the guys to pick him up. Like they missed him. Yeah. Because the right, changing in levels is the thing that's really hard. Like at the last second, I feel like the posture can, can, you know, if you freeze frame something, you slow-mo something, it can always look worse than it is. Exactly right. That's exactly right. And one, one huge message about us as officials mechanically. Yeah. Our mechanics being in the right place to be able to make. And when these, the, you're talking about the quick passes that are coming out, we're not moving as much. Walt right. doesn't want us moving as much. And so you're right. I can look at posture, but if I'm running and not sitting, uh, there's a lot of times my eyes are moving while I'm running. So I, I could see the intent, but then I miss it. So we tried to just settle in and sit and watch. Do you know when you've made a, a call that's not so great? Like how much do you get to like look up at the Jumbotron and be like, oh shit. <laughs> like that, like um, that, that, that was me and I just gotta, I gotta move on to the next play. You know, it's funny, Chris. Uh, you, you do, it's, you gotta have that short-term memory and move on to the next play. You do, for sure. Sure, I've, I've looked up, uh, there was one play and I looked up at the Jumbotron. I went, Helen Keller could have made that freaking call. How did we freaking miss that? Mm -hmm. You know, it was interception. But um, I'm watching the blocking in front, and I, I I got to his feet late. And when my downfield guy ruled interception, I'm like, yep, he banged that one. He nailed that one. Then I looked up at the Jumbotron, and I went, what in the world, you know? Um, I'll tell you one other one. I called a fourth timeout my rookie year. Oh, did you really? In, in the NFL? Yeah. You talk about wanting to crawl under the turf. Well, Tom Detroit. Brady did this this year, a fourth down. Remember that? They, they were out of downs against Chicago. So listen, if it happened to Tom Brady, if it happened to a rookie official. Yeah, it was, it was funny. But, you know, the, the thing is, is communication is so key. Yeah. So key. And the crew I worked on this year with Sean Hockley, I'm telling you what, that that crew, I mean, they could have all worked the Super Bowl. We right. could have gone and worked the Super Bowl. Great communication. I mean, me and my sideline partner, Chad Hill, we'd come up with nicknames every week. I'd be Goose. He'd be Maverick or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Bonnie Clyde, uh, Sonny and Cher. We'd, you know, we'd, we'd have a good time. And we just, everybody, we, we, we really communicated. And when you have a lapse in that whole fourth time out, yeah. Um, yeah, you just, the communication's key. You talked about the team, the communication. You guys have like a little mini team, right? Um, yeah. How much do y'all talk during the week and what's that kind of weekly process? Because I know there's like people have jobs too, right? So, you know, how does that all I mean, fall? Really? I mean, I'm like, I feel like I borrow time. For, well, I don't, I worked pharmaceutical sales for a long time and I, I literally would rob time away from that pharma company. I don't want to say, I don't want them to come back and get me to like <laughs> the NFL mm -hmm. football. Yeah, we still talk. I just talked to Chili yesterday. I talked to Hockey Lee the other night. We're still talking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll have a would have a meeting for about two and a half hours pregame, of course. And uh, 
Uh, Sean Ockley is, is awesome how he does a pregame. We're, I mean, it's the, it, we are close. It's like a family. And the chemistry, you know, the chemistry off the field bleeds to the field. Has to. And we, I mean, I mean, we, we click. It's great. What's the book on you? Because we know the book on, on the officiating crews that come into town. Because Saturday night, we sit there and we're like, all right, we got X crew. They're up on ICT. They're up on, they're down on holding. So just know you get held tomorrow. They're not going to. What is the book on Sarah Thomas? Because I know you do self-scouting. <laughs> Um, they, they'll tell you, it's funny. The coach told me, he said, we all know you better not be in that neutral zone with you. You know, uh-huh. I said, um, goes back to that senior bowl thing. There we go. That's the senior. you'll give me once, but you're not going to give me twice. <laughs> um, you know, some of the receivers are probably saying I don't throw enough DH, but that's, that's the two-step process. And the ball's out so quick these days, but you know, Chris, I just call what I see and, and, I want the I want the guys to be able to play. A receiver complaining about not getting a call? Yeah. You've heard, I've I've heard of that happening once or twice. What if 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 I'm a player and let's say I teleported back on the field and all of a sudden I could run again and I said I wanted to argue a call or I wanted to have you look out for something. Like how can a player do that? What's what's the key to a relationship on the field between player and an official that's going to be constructive towards you being more informed on what's going on in that matchup, but not pissing you off and making you not want to look that way? I'll jokingly say you get more bees with honey. <laughs> you know, I uh, and you just it's it goes back to that yeah. whole you know, know. self awareness, uh, your football IQ, yeah. just. I don't, I don't care, Chris. They can come up if they say anything and I'll address it. I understand. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been told I needed some, some blankety blank type glasses. And then I looked at him and I was like, well, where do I get those? I, I don't know where I could get, <laughs> tell me where I get those, you know, I just, I like, and then a game, something happened and it, one of the players was upset and I looked at his teammate and I said, why is he so angry? And he goes, I don't know. You know, it's mm-hmm. just, but if they wanted to come to me and they want, they, they just come to me, tell me, ask me. Yeah. Yeah. Last question, wrapping it up here, the Super Bowl, um, which is obviously the enormous milestone uh, for you and all those women watching at home that you talked about. Who are you thinking about? I know, you know, your kids might be a simple answer, but as that national anthem's happening, as you're taking the field, I know you're focused, but what are you thinking about in the moment as far as the implications of what you're doing? Get this game kicked off and that crew and replay. And I remember the first Super Bowl I went and watched. I didn't I didn't watch the game. Of course, my kids were, but the crew. I, I wanted us as a crew and everybody that I talked to that congratulated me. I said, you just put this crew in your prayers and you pray that we go unseen. We have precise judgment, clear vision, and we get this game and it's not about us. So it's it's about that crew. And did you stop and smell the roses like a day later or three days later? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, At some point here, you got to be happy. You got to be excited for what you've done. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, that Monday when we traveled back, uh, we had a good little time yeah. here in Mississippi. But then we're going to have a we're, we're going to take a little trip, a little roadie to um, South Florida somewhere and a bunch of girls. And we're just we're going to we're going to have a good time. Sarah Thomas, uh, remarkable, remarkable journey, and uh, 
golly, I'm just inspired reading about it and having shared the field with you. Um, uh, a lot of respect for you. And if you ever find that official who called me offsides on that second sack uh, in 2017, let me know. I don't, think it, I don't think it was you, though. Hey, look, and to you, Chris Long, and what you do and what you stand for. I mean, you're an amazing individual, was a phenomenal player, and uh, your legacy will go on and on and on. So thank I appreciate you. you. Appreciate yeah. you. Thanks so much, Sarah Thomas. See you soon. Thank you.